0: We're turn together now to Paul's second letter, Corinthians, and chapter 1, and at verse number 18. Second Corinthians 1, at verse number 18. Surely, as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And so on. We turn to this passage today and I want us in the last few weeks that we have together to commence a series of parting counsel from the words of Paul. And as we read the letters of Paul in the New Testament He was a remarkable person. The Bible tells us that he was born in Tarshish in about A.D. 14. The Bible tells us that he was converted to faith in Jesus in A.D. 33. The Bible tells us that he was imprisoned in Rome twice in A.D. 60 and in A.D. 66. And we understand that he was martyred for his faith in A.D. 66 or 67 He was a remarkable man, and from the account that we have of his life, he spent three years as a missionary, as a servant of Jesus Christ. On one of his missionary journeys, we see that he is writing letters to this church in Corinth. If we read Acts chapter 16, he came here in AD 50, and he Stayed there for a year and six months, not a long ministry. He stayed there for 18 months. And because of developments in the church, he has written to them twice within the one year. And in a day of letter writing, perhaps uh, a yearly letter is not a lot of correspondence. But as far as Paul and the churches are concerned, it is significant. He wrote in successive years to this church in Corinth, and that because of the issues that arose within the church. When we come to read this passage here and the second letter, we understand that he writes, Because there is a distraction in the work of the gospel, and we understand that he himself is the distraction. And we understand that he is the distraction because he changed his travel plans. He was originally going from Ephesus, where he was when he wrote the letter. He was going from Ephesus to Macedonia to Corinth and possibly back to Corinth. But he changed his plans. It's quite simple. Because of events, he went from Ephesus to Corinth to Macedonia and then to Corinth. He changed his plans. His apostleship was under question because he changed his travel plans. So there is a crisis in the experience of this church because the very person who brought the gospel to them, they see him now as somebody that they cannot believe what he says because they're accusing him of saying one thing and doing another. And the apostle of Jesus Christ who has the gospel of Jesus Christ is being isolated by them with the result that their own salvation is in danger, and they are in danger of losing sight of what the gospel means. So there is that distraction, and that can often be the case in the life of the church. The person who is at the center of the ministry of the gospel in any place can become a distraction because of events, because of misunderstandings, because things just don't work out as people expected. And here in this passage, Paul is trying to address that distraction, and he is doing so, so that, as he says in the beginning of chapter 6, so that they will not receive the grace of God in vain, so that his ministry in them will be fruitless. And we embark on these verses from verse 15 downwards, and we see the way in which he wants to rescue the situation for their benefit. And so today against that kind of summary of the context we want to think today of Paul's personal plea to focus on the gospel. It's a simple message in one sense. What else would he do? The gospel is what is important and not himself. In the first place I want us to see that there is a proclamation And we come to the proclamation through the way in which Paul wants to show that his change of travel plans was actually a reflection of his faithfulness in line with God's faithfulness. In his own defense, he says at verse number 17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? In other words, they are saying with regard to, to Paul that He has not been motivated by the Spirit of God when he changed his plans. The same Paul that says in Romans chapter 8 that if you're motivated by the flesh that that you shall die. But if you're motivated by the Spirit of God then you shall live and you shall, shall be victorious and you shall be raised up by the power of God at the last day. They are accusing him of not only of not being an apostle, but they are accusing him of of not operating as somebody who has the spirit of God in their hearts. It's a serious accusation. Against that accusation, he says to them, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. He puts us every word as well as the whole of his life in line with devotion to his Master, devotion to the Lord Jesus. And his faithfulness in all that he has written to them in his letters, in all that he has preached to them, his faithfulness is in line with the faithfulness of God. The God who is absolutely trustworthy, the God whose word cannot be questioned. The God who does what he has promised. The God who does what he has promised sometimes in ways that surprise the people. But the God who does what he has promised. In line with that faithful God, Paul wants to say to them, Our word to you has not been yes and no. His word that was written in the letters, his word that was preached... It wasn't a mixture of yes and no. It wasn't a confusing message. The message that he preached as we read in 1 Corinthians is the word of the cross, which is folly to those who are perishing. The gospel that is the power of God and to salvation. It was not yes and no. At no time, could they say with regard to his preaching of the word of God, that it brought that sense of confusion in their minds, not knowing what was true and what wasn't. And Paul, because of his relationship with the Lord, is confident in the presence of God, of his own sincerity. Uh, And he wants to, to communicate that to them so that they will understand the importance of his proclamation and understand that whether he went to Macedonia first or not, it's not the issue. The issue is that whatever he has said, it has been in line with the purposes of God and with the plans of God. And it's always important for us to, to lay hold of that and to grasp that. Paul will say in uh, to the church of Philippi, for me to live as Christ. And how can they accuse him of, of doing the very opposite? Somebody who is completely devoted to his master. And they are saying that he doesn't know whether he's coming or going, and they don't know whether they're coming or going because of him. Here is the sincere Paul, whose sincerity is in line with God's sincerity. And who is entirely trustworthy in all that he writes and in all that he proclaims. And from there he goes to to speak of the gospel itself. The Son of God Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. The proclamation of the glorious gospel of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, heralding the good news of all that God did in Jesus and heralding that in a way which was always yes. From the first time that he preached the gospel, after he met with Jesus on the road to Damascus, from the first time, the gospel is yes. Yes, you are sinners. Yes, Jesus has died for our sins. Yes, you can be reconciled to God by believing in Jesus. It's all yes. This is the only way, the unique way. It is proclaiming the uniqueness of Christ and the uniqueness of the gospel and doing so in such a way that emphasizes always the truth of God. So that Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, It's the very Jesus that Paul proclaims with no deviation from that. Sincere in his letter writing to them and sincere in the way that he proclaims the gospel to them. And this is always yes. And he always has the sense of from one single moment it came about There was a a new beginning, a genesis in his life. There's a new beginning. From that moment, the gospel was clear. He saw, he says in chapter 4, he saw the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And from then, he communicated that light. He, He didn't put anything in the way of that light. He let it shine brilliantly as he preached the gospel to those who were and Corinth, the proclamation. And today the important thing for us is to recognize the sincere gospel of Jesus Christ. To embrace the fullness of the truth as it is in Jesus. To shut the distractions out of our minds. Whatever the distractions might be but to recognize and to accept the gospel in all of its fullness and in all of its power and to recognize that it always says yes to whatever the Bible says, it always says yes. The proclamation, the passionate plea, focus on the gospel. Secondly, there is the persuasion. And the persuasion comes first of all in the light of the faithfulness of God. For he says in verse number 20 all the promises of God find their yes in him. All that God has said in advance with regard to the work of salvation. Everything that has gone before. The writer to the Hebrews says in, in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham, the one who received the promises, was ready to offer up his son. In other words, there is a way in which Paul in his writings draws all of the promises of God back to that great promise given to Abraham in Genesis number 12 when he called him out of the Chaldees. When he said he would bless him and make him a blessing. When he said to him, and you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And the same Paul says in Galatians 3 that in that great proclamation to, to Abraham that the gospel was first preached to him. And Paul wants the Corinthian church to recognize that all of the promises of God, everything that God has spoken from the very beginning. We see Jesus after his resurrection. We see him meeting with folks going to Imaz. They're saying, We, we thought he was going to redeem us. And have you not heard what's happened? He died. He was crucified. Their hopes had collapsed. God had done the expected thing, the unexpected thing. And Jesus himself appeared to them. And he said to them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that was written, by the, spoken by the prophets. And opening to them the scriptures, beginning with Moses, beginning with the, the Old Testament, the first books of the Bible. Beginning with Moses, he interpreted the scriptures for them, the things concerning himself. What a sermon that must have been, starting from from the beginning of the Bible. Jesus seeing all of these promises fulfilled in himself, and doing so now, especially having endured the cross, and now being raised from the dead by God the Father who was proclaiming his his yes to Jesus when he raised him from the dead yes you have finished the work yes you have honoured me yes you have done everything that I have asked you to do and yes I am now going to glorify you all the promises of God find their yes in him In his person alone. It's all that God has spoken in the Old Testament, converging and coming to find themselves in Him personally. And in that sense, He Himself is all of the promises of God. What has God said? What has God said He would do? Let me interpret the whole of the Bible in the light of what happened to Jesus from his entrance into this world to his resurrection glory, let me understand everything in the passion of the Lord Jesus. All the promise of God find their yes in him. That's the gospel that Paul preached. That's the gospel that we preach following in the footsteps of Paul that that here is God's yes to his promises and it is remarkable that when Jesus was telling the disciples that he was going to go to the cross in fulfillment of the promise of God to die for the sins of the world his own followers Peter saying to him Oh, that that would be far from you. No, that cannot happen to you. It wasn't that God wasn't fulfilling his promise. It was that Peter didn't understand how the promise was going to be fulfilled. But Jesus wanted him and the disciples to know, and wanted Paul to know, and wants us all to know that the way that God fulfills his promise in Jesus It's in line with all that was in his heart. And if we don't understand it, it's not because God has changed his plan or changed uh, the way in which he's going to work out his plans. It's because we fail to understand. All the promises find God's yes in him. And every time we hear the gospel and have our attention drawn to to Jesus on the cross. Let's hear the voice from from the throne of heaven, the God of creation and the God of salvation. Yes, this is my yes to the world. Can I fulfill my promises? Can I do what I said I would do? Look at the cross of my son Jesus. Yes, yes. I can do it. I have done it. Look at his resurrection. Yes, I can do it. the persuasion and the faithfulness of God. And it is there that Paul wants to remind them that it is this gospel that he preached, that they are saying that he failed to preach with clarity, that it is that gospel. That they were persuaded to embrace. That is why. Because God said his yes. Promises fulfilled. That is why it is through him we utter our amen. To God for his glory or to his glory. Through him. We come to, to Jesus in the gospel. They came to the Jesus that Paul preached. And through him, what, what do they say? When they hear God saying yes, they utter their amen. They embrace the very yes of God because the yes of God is an the of Jesus. And that's where they find the Salvation that they embraced when Paul came to to preach the gospel to them in A.D. 50. We read in various places in the Old Testament the importance of the Amen. It's agreeing with someone else's statement or the truthfulness of someone else's statement. It shows our affirmation and our embrace of what has been said. David brought the ark back to Jerusalem to the tent that he had made and he gives thanks to the Lord and they they call on the name of the Lord. And he says to the people, Save us, O God of our salvation. This is the prayer. And all the people said, Amen and praise the Lord. They, they saw the moment. They saw the significance of, of the ark back in, in, in Jerusalem. And they said, there amen," to the praise of God. And that is the persuasion of faith. And interesting, the, the word faith itself, its root in the Greek language is to be persuaded. And that's exactly what, what Paul is saying here. And with regard to that same gospel that it is for the glory of God or to the glory of God. The Paul who says in Galatians 6, God forbid that I should boast in anything but in the cross of Jesus Christ. All that God has done in fulfilling his promises in Christ are to make his name great for him to have all the glory. And when they came, To embrace Jesus and Paul's gospel, the name of God was made great. That this is the God who who reconciles sinners to himself without laying their sins to their charge. They embraced, they were persuaded, and they said their amen. And the question for you today is not to ask about the yes of God, but it is to ask about what you think of all that God has said and done in the person of Jesus. If you recognize that all of God's promises are in him, then if you have faith, You will be fully persuaded that the Son of God, this Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of the glory of God, that he must be your saviour because he is God's saviour and because God has sent him into the world to be the saviour of sinners like you. The persuasion. What do you think? Are you distracted? Are you hesitating? There are so many other things going on in your mind that you can't see clearly what God is saying in Jesus. And therefore, you are not yet persuaded. Proclamation, persuasion. And finally, Participation. He wants them to remember that it is this gospel that they are already participating in and receiving the blessings of. And he has that great statement from verse 21 into verse 22, where he, which begins It is God who establishes us with you in Christ. He's bringing them together with Him. And him together with them establishes us with you in Christ. Establishing is an interesting idea. It speaks of motion, it's dynamic. And especially establishing in Christ or establishing into Christ. There is, there is a journey going on from the moment that they were persuaded to accept Jesus Christ as their Saviour. There's a journey going on and it's a journey in, into the glory and into the mystery and into the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. Let me think of, of the vista of glory that I might want to, to see in some fantastic abbey or to go into some great city and to, to look around me and to, to see that the absolute beauty of all that surrounds me because of the magnificence of a previous generation who have pulled all of this together. And let me walk through and let me be filled with wonder at all that I see. That's something of what Paul has in his mind here but from the moment of their embrace they went on a journey along with jesus but also into the riches of jesus and on that journey they are seeing more and more of who he is more and more of what he has done more and more of what he will yet do for them the riches the glory of Christ. It is God who establishes us into Christ. It's the idea of transformation. The more I look at the person of Jesus, the more I see his glory, as Paul saw it in in chapter 4, the more we're changed into that likeness. That's what he speaks of at the end of chapter 3 we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Take me on this journey. Let me see more of Jesus. And the more I see of Jesus, the more I grow like Jesus. They are on a journey. On a journey with Jesus, into Jesus, with the dynamic power of Jesus Christ himself in their lives. And so did Dave. If you are persuaded, if you have been persuaded, this is the confirmation that your persuasion has been genuine. That you have embarked on a journey that's full of discovery and full of the discovery of the glory of God in Jesus. A discovery that. It enthralls and fills your mind with greater persuasion. The more you see, the more you are persuaded, the more you journey on. The persuasion, the dynamic, the journey. Where is your journey taking you right now? Where is your journey taking you in life? Is it taking you along this road as you journey on through the busyness of life, it's the magnetic power of, of, of God and Jesus drawing you along this path. It's the spotlight of the Spirit of God shining on the beauty of Christ more and more as you journey on from day to day. There is that sense of participation and Surely that participation includes the growing realisation that yes, all that God did promise, I see it now. I didn't see it at the very first. But all of these gems and the (laughs) promises of God, I see them so full and they are the food for my soul. They are what I have a growing appetite for. And I find satisfaction in nothing else but in them. The participation. And that participation of their ongoing lives based upon the triple elements of the day of their conversion. And that's what we have in verse number 22. At end of verse 21 and into verse 22. He has anointed us. Set us apart. David was anointed king, set apart to serve God. Aaron was set, anointed, set apart to serve God as priest. Anointed us, set us apart to be the servants of Jesus. Put a seal on us. That, that, that sense of, of God's ownership and God's protection. That sense of God saying, This is my child. My my seal, my stamp is on this child. Let nobody touch this child. And it's the sense of the child knowing because of that seal, I am God's child. I know God as my father. And there is that sense of giving us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee in that moment of conversion, the spirit of God comes to dwell in our hearts, setting us apart itself as the, the seal of, of, of God and that seal being the guarantee in other words it is the first payment of the whole the contract that is entered into on the basis of a first installment Is a contract that is secure for the fullness of the payment. And the person who makes the first payment undertakes to pay the rest. And so God has given them His Spirit in their hearts as a down payment. The God who is faithful, the God who cannot lie, He has given us the first installment, the deposit and that secures for us the final fullness of the blessings of eternal salvation. And Paul wants them to to see the, the security of which the gospel has given to them. And for ourselves today, let's seriously ask ourselves about our participation in And all that God has done in Jesus. Let's ask ourselves, what journey are we on? What power works in our lives? Let's ask ourselves, who do we think we are? Are we the children of God? Who does God think we are? Does God think we are his children? And let's remember that the journey that we are on, yes, it's one and two. More of the the riches of the the glory of Christ. But it's a journey that has a terminus. It has a goal. It has an end. And that is when we have the fullness of the payment. And when God fills our hearts in the day of the glory of the resurrection. To make us spiritual, complete in, in body and in soul. changed at last into his his likeness because we shall see him as he is. And today, that's our security. If we see Jesus by faith, are persuaded to, to embrace him today in the gospel, then we for sure will see him as he is in all of his glory and then we shall be made like him a plea to keep focus on the gospel. Whatever happens, let the gospel be central to your life and to your way of thinking and to you ensure that daily you seek to be persuaded that Jesus Christ is your saviour and participate in the riches of the grace of God's eternal salvation. May God bless His word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we bow before you to seek to honour your name. The gospel is filled with such beauty. It is so powerfully attractive because your Son is at its centre, and we pray today that we may all feel that in our own hearts, and to we long to know more of your love poured out through Jesus Christ, your Son. And may our lives therefore be lived for you, under the banner of your love, and focused with sincerity of heart upon you in the gospel. From day to day, we do pray. So bless your words and hear our prayer. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Closing Psalm, Psalm number ninety-two A and sing Psalms on page 122. Psalm number 92a, on page 122, and at verse number 8. But Lord, you are forevermore, exalted very high. All evildoers will be crushed. Your foes will surely die. From verse 8 to the end of the psalm, to God's praise.
1: Good Lord, you Everybody.
0: stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.